Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Christmas is such a special moment, and um, just so everyone that I heard there was a rumor going around that I said everyone has to start to dress better, and I saw people in suits. Um, that is not true. I will be in a short sleeve t-shirt next week, I'm sure, especially if we continue with this weather, but we, we have an, an incredible opportunity today. Some of you have invited family members and guests and people with you, and And I pray that the word of God serves you well. But Christmas is such a special moment. It's the time where you have family in, you have your kids are smiling and happy. You have incredible things happening. Um, It's just a beautiful, beautiful moment. But the question really that should be begged is what happens after Christmas? And obviously this only happens once every seven years where we get to have a Sunday service right after the big day, right after Christmas day. And I wanna talk about that. The title of my message is actually called The Day After. The Day After. Now, a lot of things happen the day after a major event in our lives. A lot of things happen the day after Christmas. And I wanna talk about a few of those. For some of you, the day after is the day that you clean up after the big party. Everybody leaves and goes home and you're busy for the next week cleaning up. That happens the day after. The reality that the people that you know and love that have come in from town and coming from different places, the reality sets in that they don't live here. And you go into that state of missing them and caring about them and praying that they have a safe year. The reality sets in. For others of us, the reality of what you spent for Christmas starts to set in. Everybody loves to give great big gifts until that first bill comes in after Christmas. For others of us, the reality really hits when we get on the scale for the first time (laughs) after Christmas. What do we do with that? The title of this message, again, is The Day After, because in this story, in this this text of of Scripture in the Bible, the story of Jesus' birth, there is a number of day afters that that are attached to the, the story, one of which came before Jesus was actually born. We talked about this on Christmas Eve when Mary came and and the angel, excuse me, came and showed up to Mary and told her about the amazing thing that was going to happen, how God was going to choose her, how God, excuse me, had chosen her and she was going to be favored amongst women and how she was going to give birth to the Son of God as a virgin. But as amazing as that moment was, even for Mary, there was a moment after, a day after What are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about her having to tell Joseph, the man that she was essentially engaged to, that she was pregnant. Can you imagine that conversation? Joseph, I have something to tell you. What, Mary? I love you. I can't wait for our big day. Joseph, that's great. Um, I'm pregnant. Mary, what? Was it 
is, is it Ezekiel? <laughs> Seeing the way he looks at you. <laughs> no, Joseph, it's not Ezekiel. Well, who is it? Man, why would you do this to me? Who is it? Joseph is God. She's crazy. <laughs> She's lost her mind. Can you imagine having to explain that to, to someone? For Mary, that was the day after. For Joseph, he had to live that out. And of course, an angel showed up to him in a dream and confirmed, no, she's not crazy. This is really God. And she's going to give birth to the Son of God. Can you imagine the pressure that came on him in that moment? The pressure of, I have to raise the Son of God. That's immense pressure. We think it's weighty on us raising our children. Imagine raising God's child. And so they had that pressure. And then shortly after, while she's pregnant, they get word that they have to travel to the place of his ancestors, which was Bethlehem. And for a census that was going to be taken by the Roman Empire. And so they have to travel. Listen to this. This was not going down the street. This was not the IRS showing up at your house asking how many people are in your family. And some of you always keep the door closed because you don't want to be in the census. This was not that. They had to travel anywhere from 70 to 80 miles while Mary was pregnant to have the census taken. Now, I don't know about you, but my, we, we have three children. And husbands, how many of you remember those moments that are close when your wife was getting ready to have that child and you're driving and everything bothers her and everything hurts? Notice I'm talking to the men like we really were the ones with the problem. But she likely had to ride on a donkey for 70 to 80 miles while in the last trimester of her pregnancy. This was not an easy world. This was part of the journey. And then when they finally, she's ready to deliver the child, she's ready to deliver the baby, there's no place for them to stay. And they finally deliver this child in an inn. And you, you know the story. I'm not telling you anything you don't know but they deliver this child in a manger. Now in that moment, that's the moment we just celebrated yesterday. That is the moment and it was worth celebrating and it was the, 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 literally the centerpiece of history. What do I mean by that? In that moment you have angels singing. Literally angels show up to shepherds and they sing about the glory of God. You have a star that is following them and up to the place where that baby Jesus is born. You have shepherds coming and bringing, just excuse me, bringing praise and honor and glory to God. We're talking about the moment that literally split the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're talking about the moment that literally split B.C. and A.D., we have the years we have because of this moment. This was indeed the centerpiece of history, one of the two most significant moments in all of creation. 
That's what this moment brought. But yet, even with this moment, there was a day after. There was a, what do I do now? There was a, where do I go from here? Joseph and Mary had persevered. They'd gotten through the fight and the battle and they delivered the son of God. But the challenges were not over. They were going to continue. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter two, verse one. This is what it says. It says this, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from Eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. These wise men come from the East. Now let me just dispel a couple of things that aren't true that we celebrate in this season. There weren't three wise men. The Bible never says there were three wise men. As a matter of fact, we don't know how many wise men. The reason why it assumes three is because there were three gifts that were given. The other thing were, was the, these were not kings. These men were more like astrologers. They had followed the stars. They were magi, where we, kinda, where we get the word magicians from. These were mystical type of men from the east who came looking for the Son of God. Now, why is that important? Well, let me just say this. That song, and some of you sang it, and it's okay. We three kings of Orient are, is totally wrong. <laughs> Completely wrong. But nonetheless, these wise men come to worship Jesus. And there's two things that we should know about that. Number one, they followed the stars, which means even the stars in all of creation testify to God's glory. Even the stars in the, in the sky, the Bible says, the heavens declare the glory of God. All of creation glorifies and magnifies Jesus as king. So we see that, but we also see this. This was a representation of the nations of the world coming to worship Jesus. Jesus was already pointing to the fact that this was not just a Jewish thing. This was for the nations of the world to come and to worship him. But here's where the, the trouble comes. Matthew chapter two, verse three. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. As was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come for you, excuse me, from you, who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. So this king, King Herod, let me explain a little bit about who King Herod was. You've, in the Bible, you'll see Herods all throughout the New Testament. Herod was kind of like the title Caesar, where it wasn't, it wasn't just a person, it was a title that was given to a people, a certain group of ruling people. This Herod was the first Herod, known as Herod the Great. And they call him Herod the Great, partly because even today, to this day, if you went to Israel right now, some of the things that you saw, the buildings and the beautiful things that were there, were built because of Herod. He was an incredible architect. 
but he was also a very wicked, insecure man. And this wicked, insecure man heard these men came, these wise men came, and he heard about why they came. And so he invites these, these wise men to come, and, and he's insecure because he knows, I don't want any other king. I'm the king. I am the king of God's people. I am the king of the Jewish people, and I don't want any threats to my kingdom. So he calls together the religious leaders, and he says, tell me more, where, tell me more about this Messiah guy because I, I need to stamp him out. So even from the very beginning, listen to this. Before Jesus has had the chance to grow up, the enemy is already trying to kill him. He's still a baby. And the enemy is trying to thwart the plan of God. I wonder, and really I'm sure of, the enemy's attempts to thwart the plan of God in your life before it's come to pass. There are people in this room where there has been an attack from the devil on your life and you think, I, I don't know why this is. I don't know why these things are happening. Could it be that he is after God's plan and purpose in your life? Because Joseph and Mary were carrying the very promise of God. The very promise of God to mankind was in their care, in their stewardship. You have a plan a purpose, a calling, something that God has put inside of you that the enemy is after to destroy before it comes to maturity. How does he do that? In some ways, he uses the self-destructive habits in our own lives. See, sometimes it's, it's not just the circumstances that come to you. Sometimes it's the doors that you leave open in your life. Those self-destructive things that you don't think are a big deal until they become a big deal. It's not just about you. It's about the promise that you're carrying. It's about the call that he has. It's about the plan. It was about the, it's about the reason you were created. The enemy is after that. For some of us, it's the destructive people. Don't miss this. It's the destructive people that we've allowed to stay in our lives. Those people we've allowed to continue to influence us. We talked about that last week. Show me your five closest friends and I will show you your destiny. It's the people we leave in our lives. For others, it's the sin patterns that seem small and they seem innocent. But when that seed goes in the ground, we may not pay attention to it until it brings fruit. And that fruit could be the destruction of God's plan for your life. Pay attention to these things because they are the plan of the enemy to, to abort the very plan of God in your life. But the good news is thank God that Jesus did grow up. Thank God that Jesus did go to the cross. Thank God that Jesus did rise again from the dead. Why? Because with that redemption, comes just that redemption and restoration. And he has the ability, no matter who you are or where you're at sitting in this room this morning, no matter what you've done, because of the shed blood of Jesus, he can get you right back on track. He can forgive anything you've ever done. The worst moment in your life can be washed away in an instance. 
the thing that you're the most ashamed of and embarrassed of. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I left that in my life. I can't believe I left them in my life. He can wash it away because that baby became a man and that man died for your sin. We're never too far gone for Jesus. We're never too far gone. But for some of you, I ask you and I beg you to pay attention to the things that would try to abort that. The plan of the enemy, there are two plans at war right now for your life. Back to Mary and Joseph. Let's think about what they've gone through already. Mary told Joseph he stayed because of angel coming to him in a dream. They braved that battle. They traveled 70 to 80 miles on a donkey to Bethlehem. They have the baby. The promise is now in their care. But now right after that, a crazy, deranged king, the king of their nation is after their baby to kill the promise of God. This is their day after. Maybe not a legitimate 24-hour day, but it is a season of life that came right after the promise of God. Matthew chapter two, verse seven says this, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too, which was a complete lie. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Again, this is a picture and a sign of the nations of the world coming to worship Jesus, but when they leave, after this glorious moment, this day after, the king is furious. He realizes that these wise men have left and did not come back to him and report to him where Jesus was. And in his rage and in his fury, he orders that his soldiers go throughout Bethlehem and kills every baby boy that is two years of age or under because of his own insecure and because of the plan of the devil. See, I don't think he realized this, but he was a pawn and a puppet of the schemes of the devil. He's trying to kill the baby. Here's Mary, here's Joseph. This is their reality. This is their post-Christmas reality. Can I ask you a question? What's your post-Christmas reality? Because now the, the, the peak or the summit, the friends, the family, the gathering, for some of us is going back into our real reality. I'm miserable. I have all of these challenges that I've put off because of the season. Now I have to face them. Now there's the reality of where I'm at in life is really I have nothing to distract me. The challenges are here. For some of you, 
It's exactly what we just talked about. It's the mistakes that you made in this Christmas season. It's the things that you look back on and you think, God, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I blew it like that during Christmas time. God, I really do love you, but I can't believe I did this. Maybe that's the reality that you're facing. So what do you do? What do you do when you have a day after moment and I'm closing? This is what you do. You keep following. You keep following. You recognize and you realize if God has been with me up until this point, why would he abandon me and leave me now? Why would he leave me now? Because think about this. This was not Joseph and Mary's plan. They were going to get married and have a beautiful little Jewish life together in, in, in Nazareth. That's what they were going to do. This was not their plan. This was God's plan. And God led them to this point. And if God led them to this point, then God himself was going to see them through the challenge. Listen to me. For many of you, God has led you to this point. And we've talked a little bit about this in the book of Acts. There are times and there are seasons when God will lead you into challenges. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't have to seem right to you. Trust him through it. When you don't understand why your reality is the reality in front of you, trust him through it. Keep following. When you've made mistakes and you've, you can't believe, I know better, I should have done better, follow him through it. Follow him through it. When the hype and the emotion is over and you have nothing left but the crystal clear view, the 2020 vision of the challenges that stand in front of you, trust him through it. Follow him. That's what they did. I talked to a group of our leaders this morning and I encouraged them to do something that I encourage you to do. As you're going into this next year, I encourage you to ask God, God, what do you want from my life? I'm going to acknowledge you. What do you want to do in me in this season, in this reality that I'm facing? God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And what do you want me to do? If you ask him, he will show you. The Bible says in James, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, meaning he won't hold it back. He won't drip the wisdom. He will pour out buckets of wisdom to you if you ask him. So what do you do? You follow. What did Joseph and Mary do? They followed. Listen to this. See, I don't believe Joseph knew this plan. He didn't know what the enemy was planning to do. He didn't know what the king was planning and strategizing. He's there enjoying the moment, kind of like you dads were as you sat back watching your kids open presents. My wife is there trying to pick up all of the paper and put it in the trash bag while all of the kids, and I'm just sitting back watching going, God, this is so amazing. Thank you. Thank God she did because it was clean. Sometimes you need to enjoy the moment, and I enjoyed the moment. As a matter of fact, Christmas Eve service, we're here, and the candles are being lit, and I'm standing right back there tearing up because I'm looking at people, thinking about how God rescued them 
what he did for them where they were a year ago, where they were two years ago. God, the plans that you have for them. I was sitting back there blown away and even thinking about in my own life in this season. God, thank you for where you've brought me. You didn't have to do the things you did in my life, but you did. You didn't have to give me the family you did. You didn't have to do these things, but you've led me to this point. And if he's led you to this point, he's not going to abandon you now. He's not going to abandon you. But when you come out of that moment, what do you do? You follow. This is what happened to Joseph and Mary. Verse 13. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. See, little do we know, little did they know, God was watching over them even when things were tough. God was guiding them even when things didn't make sense. And what was God doing? Fulfilling the very promise that he made. My son was gonna be brought out of Egypt. As you go through and as you follow, you're following his plan. And he is bringing something out of your life that does not make sense to you now, but if you follow him by the end, it will make sense. When you stand before him and you hear, well done, good and faithful servant, it will all make sense. It will all make sense. When you stay faithful to that spouse, when times are rocky and times are hard, one day it'll all make sense. When you do the hard things with those children, when you have to give tough love, it doesn't make sense, but one day it will. When you learn patience, when you learn self-sacrifice, when you learn how to die to your flesh and you, God is leading you to give up things in your life that have been sacred to you and he's calling you to lay those things down, it doesn't make sense now, but one day it will following. What do you do? You follow. I want to ask you in this place to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want to pray for a couple groups of people. The first group of people I want to pray for is you're here and you've, you've been following God and now that Christmas is over, there's a reality that you're facing and I don't want to deal with this. I don't know if I can deal with this. I don't know if I can do this. He's with you. He's for you. And I want to pray for God's grace on you and his guidance and direction. When no one looking around, if you say, pastor, I'm here and that's me. And I've got to face some things that I don't know how I'm going to face them. I don't know how I'm going to come out of this, but I need God's wisdom and God's direction and grace. If that's you and no one looking around, just lift up your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands all over this place. You can put them down. Father, you see the sincere honesty of your people. And according to your word, you said if we acknowledge you 
In all of our ways, you'll direct our path. And I pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and every person who's acknowledged you and asked for that direction. Lord, give it to them liberally. Pour it out. But not only that, give them the grace. Give them the peace. Jesus, you, you told your disciples, peace, I leave you. Not as the world gives, but as I give. God, I pray that you would give that peace to your people, that assurance, that confidence that they're not doing it alone, but you're walking with them. Those conversations they have to have, give them the grace for it. Those confessions they need to make, give them the grace for it. We thank you for that. We thank you for that. Now if you're here and you say, Pastor Gabe, I'm far away from God. You're talking about following him, continuing to follow him. I haven't begun the journey of following him. Can I just tell you, you're in a good place. You're in a good place because God loves you so much that that baby again became a man and laid his life down so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could be made right with him so that you can have a brand new, fresh start as a child of God. It is indeed the good news. Pastor, how do I receive that? How do I do that? I want that. Jesus told a rich young ruler, he said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are first born again. And that's not just heaven one day, that's his kingdom right now, here established on the earth. How do I do that? It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit. Admit the truth that you're a sinner, that you're far away from him. There's sin in your life that you have chosen that has separated you from him. That you're willing to admit that. B, you believe. Believe what? That the solution to that problem was Jesus dying on that cross. That blood was shed so that you can be made right with God. And see, you confess. Confess that from this moment on, this is not a moment of time. This is not a prayer that I'm praying. This is not some fire insurance. I am making him the Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow him with my life. That word Lord simply means he's the boss. He calls the shots that you are yielding your life and the direction of it to him. And here's the beauty of it. He's better at leading your life than you are. So with no one looking around, if you say, Pastor, that's me. I want to be born again. I want to follow Jesus today. With no one again looking around, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. And then I'm going to lead you and everyone else in this congregation in a prayer. And today, through the drawing of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be born again. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. You say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, sir. See your hand. Anyone else? You say, that's me. I want to be born again today. Today is my day. I want to be saved. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? You can put them down. Church, pray this prayer out loud with me. Say these words. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my sin, for my guilt, and for my shame. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, 
in a relationship with the Father. I turn from my sin. I repent of it. And I choose to follow you. And from this moment on, God, you're my Father. Jesus, you're my Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's celebrate with everybody that prayed that prayer to be born again.